You're listening to Torah Classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. Good afternoon. Sorry for the lateness, but here we go. So, what's going on in the world, we always look to try to see what's going on in the world and try to find the application that from the Torah reading, because we know, as the Alter Rebbe used to say, the first Chabad Rebbe said, we have to live with the times. And of course, he wasn't talking about the New York Times, and as his students and Hasidim and brothers explained, we learn the Torah reading of the week and we find its contemporary application of how it applies to every single thing that happens in our life. But even more so, when we look into the Torah, we know that the Torah is the blueprint of the world, and the Torah gives us meaning and lesson to everything that's happening in our life, and especially in the life and the people and things that are happening around us. So as we know what's going on in the world, and we continue to talk about the terrible tragedies and war that Israel is continuing fighting and the anti-Semitism that continues to broom. And one of the things that have reached to its ultimate unfortunate goal of anti-Semitism reaching its heights is what's going on today in the international court, where South Africa, out of all places, is bringing Israel to the high court, to the Hague, of complaining that they're committing genocide in Gaza. And it's uh, fascinating that South Africa, out of all places, are doing it when they want to wipe out all the whites, but that's a separate story in politics for aside. But one of the things, the interesting things of the complaint that South Africa had against Israel was that three of its um, commanders from the prime minister, a Knesset member, and a commander in the army have termed Hamas Amalek, that they are the Amalek of our time, where the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, wrote a letter to his soldiers and commanders before the war started, remember what Amalek did to us, and therefore we need to go and wipe out Hamas as well as well as there was um, other commanders who wrote the same idea, that the same way that the Torah gives us an obligation to wipe out Amalek, the Amalek of today is the Hamas. And the question, of course, is, what is the comparison, and why are they comparing Hamas to Amalek? Now, first of all, just from a logistical point of view, and from a legal point of view, Amalek, we don't know who it is today. If we were to know who it is today, we would have to wait for the coming of Moshiach for us to destroy Amalek. So what was the rationale and why are these uh, leaders and commanders comparing Hamas to Amalek? They're definitely, they definitely not saying that they are the descendants of Amalek or they are the mitzvah of Amalek to wipe out. But what they are comparing it to is the rationale, the mentality, the idea of Amalek is what Hamas is today and therefore the same way. We have an obligation in the Torah to eradicate Amalek the ideas of Amalek, so too we have to eradicate Hamas, and that's what, the, what they're giving over to their soldiers, and that's the idea. But what is it about it that they're comparing the two? Why is the Israeli government, ministers, commanders, and everybody else comparing Hamas, which is a proper comparison that we'll get to in a moment, compared to Amalek and not any other, just an enemy of the Jewish people that we have to contend with. You know, there were many enemies of the Jewish people that we'll talk about. Well, what is it that all of a sudden that makes this conflict, this war so different, or makes this enemy so different and then any other one? And why is it that we find in the Torah in a moment, as we'll soon see, that makes it different? Because if we look in the world, there are many different types of enemies that we have. And there are many different types of disagreements that exist. You have people that you just don't get along with, people who have a disagreement with, and then you find a way to be able to bring some type of 
agreement to the table to make peace, to continue to further the common goals that you may have. But then there are people or then there are entities that are just full of hatred. The difference between hatred and a disagreement is that you have two people that disagree, but they are some things that they agree with, and you just have to find that avenue that you can agree with. Or there's a disagreement because I'm afraid of something. I need to contend with something. But then there's just evil hatred just for the sake of being hatred, beyond any rationale. And there's nothing that you can do to be able to stop that hatred or to change that hatred. There is nothing that you can even change in the interest of that person to even change. Because all they are set is to hate you. And as long as you exist, they will be interested in just destroying you. It's very difficult for the modern individual to understand this. Because in our own life, when we, how do we contend with difficulties or challenges? You throw money at it and usually it disappears. You got a problem, a, a, a pipe is leaking, you call a plumber, you pay for it, it's all done. There's something else that's a problem, you pay for it, it gets taken care of. You got a problem, a neighbor that's annoying you, you send them a nice gift, every twice a year, they become your best friend. But all of a sudden over here, and that's why, what is the world's first reaction? Oh, Hamas is making problems. What's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to give them jobs. We're going to give them money. But as we see, they're billionaires. They don't need our money. They use the money just to make more terror. As many jobs, all these people that were killed in October 7th were people that actually gave them jobs. There's a hatred here. There's a hatred that's beyond Russia now. To be able to understand this, we'll go a step further and let's look into this week's Torah reading. This week's Torah reading tells us about two different types of enemies that the Jewish people had to contend with. One that they were just leaving and one that they encountered. And we find something unique and almost opposite of how the Torah tells us to deal with these two enemies. For 210 years, the Jewish people were under the slavery of Pharaoh. And under the slavery of Pharaoh, God tells us, you're leaving Egypt, that's it. You're not going to have anything to do with Egypt. Forget about them. Then at the end of the Torah reading, we talk about Amalek. And God says, you should forever remember what Amalek did to you. And then all of a sudden it changes. Why? You forget about Egypt, but we have to remember what Amalek did. And over here, the Torah is teaching us, I'm just giving you the outline of what we're going to be talking about today. The Torah is telling us the difference between a disagreement and an enemy that just wants to hate you. Of how you have to deal with an enemy that just wants to hate you, you can't forget about. They always need to be consciously on your mind. While the disagreement, you move past it and you don't think back about it. We're going to learn about these two types of enemies, these two types of situations, by reflecting on how this applies, not only how we have to contend with the enemies around us from a political, geopolitical point of view, but even more so, but how we have to deal with it within ourselves, we have those two kinds of enemies as well. And how this will bring us about and helping us, how we connect better, and when we are dealt with trials and tribulations in serving God, and what this means to us and how we serve God as well. And how we have to deal with things that may contend or get in our way to think about our service to God. So let's start from the beginning of this week's Torah reading of Parshas B'Shalach. Last week the Jewish people walked out of Egypt in open daylight, 
broad daylight, three million people walking out of Egypt, enjoying the freedoms that they've never experienced before with their matzah slapped in their back and God splitting the sea for them as they, uh, not splitting the sea yet, but this week we're going to get to, they're six days out of Egypt, all of a sudden they have the sea in front of them, Pharaoh behind them because Pharaoh realized it's three days and the Jews are not coming back. So three days to find out. Three days later, he all of a sudden realizes the Jewish people are not coming back. I'd better go get them. God made that the Pharaoh should think that the Jewish people are stuck. And they're stuck over there in between the idolatry of Balzaphon and the towers. That they should be able to think that Pharaoh says, oh, look, my idols work. The Jewish people can't go anywhere. The sea is in front of them. We're behind them, trapped in a gridlock. They're not going anywhere. We'll be able to get the, Jew, the, Egyptian, the Jewish people back. In fact, the Jewish people standing at the sea also believed so. There were four groups of people, four groups of Jews. Some said, let's commit suicide, jump into the sea. Others said, let's pray to God. Others let's said, let's fight with Egypt. And others said, let's return to Egypt. That means there was a contention at the time, thinking that we tried, but we didn't make it. All of a sudden, God says, put your staff over the sea. It splits up into 12 canals, and the Jewish people crossed the through the sea, and Pharaoh and his army are drowned into the sea. With that, the Jewish people give song and thanks to Hashem that they survive. They've lived through the horrors of Egypt, and now they're on the other side of the sea, re getting ready towards the giving of the Torah. But lo and behold, after all, this, after all the miracles that happened, after all the great events that the Jewish people are celebrating, after all seeing those miraculous events and they're excited and passionate to finally they're going to be able to get the Torah, all of a sudden, they get attacked. Who do they get attacked from? No one else but their second cousin, a fellow by the name of Amalek. Amalek was the grandson of Esau, and here are the grandchildren of Jacob. Their own second cousin all of a sudden comes along. They were living in Rephidim. And they say, ah, they're back down in the south. And they say, look, the Jewish people just came out of Egypt. Let's go get them. Let's go attack them. How does he do that? What does Amalek do as the Torah tells us? He all of a sudden started with the people that were outside the camp. Why were the people outside the camp? So the Torah tells us because when a person was impure, they had to be outside the camp. So those people that were, so to speak, on the peripheral, on the perimeter, they were on the outside. Amalek attacked them first, and then they decided to attack the rest of the Jewish people. The Jewish people need to go to war. Yoshua takes an army, and as Moses holds his hands in the air, he's able to overcome Amalek, and the people overcome Amalek, and they wipe them out. So the story could have ended there. Everything was fine. Not only do we have one enemy try to attack the Jewish people, but as in good Jewish history, every nation of the world tries to attack us. But all of a sudden over here, God changes the conversation and looks at this enemy of Amalek completely different than any other enemy of the Jewish people. And God says, in this week's Torah reading at the end of the book of the, at the end of Torah reading of Beshalach, because I will erase the memory of Amalek for eternity. But they're going to remember from generation to generation, remember what Amalek did to you. That means that not only in this week's Torah reading, but again in the book of Deuteronomy, God comes to the Jewish people and Moses reminds the Jewish people, Amalek is not a one-time event, but you got to remember what Amalek did for every generation what they did. It's not something that just happened in the past, but in every generation you need to remember what Amalek did to you. 
It's not just something that says in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, but it's actually a documented mitzvah in the 613 commandments by Maimonides that one should not just get used to his way of life and routines, but you have to remember that we have enemies that want to get us. And Amalek is one of those enemies. And because of that, we read it every single year, the Shabbos before Purim, there is a Shabbos called Parshat Zachor, the Parsha of Remembering. That we remember what Amalek did to the Jewish people. Why do we read it the Shabbos before Purim? Because this Amalek ugly, ugly head reared again in the time of Purim. Haman was a descendant of Amalek, of Agogi. King Shaul tried to wipe out Amalek when he became the king in the time of Israel. When he became the king of the land of Israel. However, he left, he, re- he allowed, the general was the only one that remained. And he had a child and eventually that became the Haman. And therefore, we remember what Amalek did again every single year. There's a commentary on Coder Jewish law that says a fascinating thing. First of all, why do we have to read it if we read it in the Torah anyway? We read it in the Torah, the Torah reading of Beshalach, and we read it again in the Torah reading of Kiseitze, in the book of Deuteronomy. But the commentary explains that it should not go by 12 months without remembering what Amalek did. That means it always has to be constantly on our mind. It is so in our mind to the extent that whenever Amalek is even mentioned in the Megillah where Haman's name is mentioned, we make noise. Some even make noise when his name is mentioned in the Torah when we say the word Amalek. And why are we saying it? That we shouldn't go 12 months without knowing that we have to erase Amalek. One of the commentaries say that Hassam Sofer and one of his students explain and say even more so is because one, we should always remember to tell us how bad and how evil Amalek is because he should have never started. And the words are, he had no reason to start with the Jewish people. What does it mean he had no reason to start with the Jewish people? What's the fact that he had no reason to start with the Jewish people? And, the, and if you look at it, every situation where the Jewish people were in, or in general, why do arguments happen? Why do wars happen? Wars happen for a variety of reasons. Number one, when people are afraid of their neighbor. They're afraid of their people taking them over. Number two, territory. They want to expand their ter- ter- territory. Or number three, religious wars. Religious wars. Territory is money, the same idea. You take, for example, why did the Egyptians enslave the Jewish people? It was because they were afraid the Jewish people were overcoming them. A practical, a practical reason. The Jewish people were becoming popular. The Jewish people were becoming many. They were multiplying by six million, six hundred time. They were afraid, as we see in the beginning of the book of Exodus, looks like the Jewish people are going to overtake us. Let's find a way that we can put them to the side. Let's make sure that we don't deal with them anymore. And therefore, they enslaved the Jewish people. Throughout history, why were there other wars against Jewish people? It was mainly religious ideology. The Crusaders wanted to fight against us because they wanted us to be Christian. The Muslims went against us because they wanted us to be Muslims, the Inquisition, and so on and so forth. Or territory. People want territory. They're afraid they were going to take over. Amalek, on the other hand, had zero of these reasons. There was no reason whatsoever for Amalek to come and take over the Jewish people. We walked out of Egypt. We just left Egypt. We're immigrants. We have no country. Can't be a territory. We're walking in the desert. 
And these are actually mentioned in the words of the Torah. When God tells us to remember what Amalek did to you, the Torah uses the terminology, remember what Amalek did to you, baderech, you were on the road. What do you mean on the road? You were weak. You weren't going to fight anybody. You were worn out from traveling. And the Torah continues to say, you were, there was no nation. You weren't yet the, you were the Jewish nation that God chose. But you didn't even get the Torah yet. What are you fighting over your argument? Not only that, the Torah uses the terminology, you were worn out. What are they going to worry about? Are you going to fight them? Your strength. What's the physical reason that Amalek wanted to fight the Jewish people? Why did they come to war with the Jewish people? There was no territory. There was no strength. There was no religion. Why are you fighting? What's your rationale? Amalek was waging war with the Jewish people for one obvious reason. It was for one simple reason. Because they hated the Jewish people. They did not want the Jewish people to exist. Think about it. Who was the descendant of Amalek, Haman? What was his problem? Come, Sachashverosh, we got to get rid of the Jews. Why? What did they do to you? But, but what they, that's not a, that's an after effect. What did they do to you? Why did he make them bow down to you? Because I don't like them, so they have to do what I say. Because not because, because he hated them. This was all ex, and that's why if you look at the terminology, he uses him, Tsar, Homon Hatsorer. Tsorer means makes anguish, he terrorizes. It's, a, it's terrorizing. He is the one that wants to make terror, he wants to take revenge. And we find one other nation that this is similar to, the Midianites. The Midianites, who was Bilam, who was also came, tried to curse the Jewish people and end up being blessings. He uses the terminology, they are terrorizing you. In fact, these are the only two nations that the Torah says, take revenge on them, wipe them out, eradicate them. Why? Because they are terrorists. All they want from the Jewish people is to terrorize them, they only hate them. There is simply no rationale. But there's something even deeper. Amalek and the Midianites were the two nations that not only did they try to use physical, tactical ways of trying to hurt the Jewish people, but also spiritual. Spiritual meaning, there's a Talmud that says, the Jerusalem Talmud says something very fascinating. That the, the Amalekite war tried to use some type of mystical method to be able to attack the Jewish people. What did they do? They only took soldiers who it was their birthday that day. So they would have a greater mazel. How did, that's why, what did uh, Moses do? He kept the sun going like this. The sun would be out for a longer amount of time. So their birthdays actually weren't correct. So therefore, mix them up. Another thing Moses did was he took people who were to go to war, whose birthday was in the Adar Shani and Alipir, where then they didn't have a mazel to anybody to counter them. So they were even stronger. But what they tried doing, it wasn't only about a tactical warfare to be able to attack the Jewish people. They were looking at it from a mystical way as well. Take the Midianites, try the same thing. Who did they hire? Bilam. Bilam was an individual who was just his counterpart. The Talmud explains and Kabbalah says that everything that there exists in holiness there has to also have the opposite in evil. I admit, uh, Bilam was the counterpart of Moshe in evil. Moshe was this great spiritual leader from holiness. And Bilam was the counterpart of evil. And therefore, what did they hire Bilam to do? Not to shoot arrows or guns and bombs and missiles at the Jewish people but to curse the Jewish people. They were trying to use mystical tactics to be able to hurt the Jewish people. What we see over here is something, something unique about these two individual nations. 
what they had against the Jewish people was just pure evil. Nothing more, nothing less. It wasn't about tactical, it wasn't about territory, it wasn't about religion, it wasn't about overcoming them. It was pure, simple evil. They hated the Jews for being Jews. And therefore God says, with such a type of evil, you can't deal with, you can't rationale with. One of the problems we see with the modern world, the Western world, they don't understand such type of evil. Every other territory, usually wars, are all based on territory, are colonizing, are taking up the one place from another place. That's the way most wars happened. The actual modern Jew, or even non-Jew today, the modern Western countries, don't understand supra-rational hate. And that's what exists today. That's the hate that is from the Hamas towards the Jewish people. As everybody is trying to say today, oh, two-state solution, two-state... And you hear them say from their own mouths, we don't want a two-state solution, we want a one-state solution, which is only a Palestinian state, from the river to the sea, God forbid. They don't want to negotiate, money is not going to help them, it's a supra-rational hate that they have towards the Jewish people. That's the same exact hate that Amalek had. This is not because something's doing wrong to them. Take Iran, Iran. Iran hates Israel. Israel lives thousands of kilometers away from them. They're not bothering. They don't take your oil. They don't take anything from you. What do you hate them for? Why do you want to shoot missiles at them? Why are you hiring terrorists to kill them? What's Israel bothering you? The Middle East conflict that we see today is exactly a paradigm of what Amalek was. It was a hatred just for the sake of hatred without any rationale. Not because we are something not because we're successful, not because we're overcoming them, not because we're taking their territory. It has zero to do with any territory. It's hate for the purpose of hate. The problem is that the Western world is not really willing to contend it. All they're coming along is come, let's try to rationalize. Why are they hating us? Let's if we give them more money, if we give them this, we give them that. This is all fanta fantasies. This is something that doesn't happen. Because the way to fight terrorism is to eradicate terrorism. Terrorism, you don't negotiate with terrorism. You can't appease a terrorist. A terrorist has one objective, one objective only. To hurt you, to kill you, to eradicate you. And the only way to stop that terrorist is to eradicate that terrorist. Like the famous example like once gave about the scorpion and the turtle. Mm -hmm. That the scorpion had to get across the river. And the scorpion sees the turtle that's floating, but the scorpion can't uh, float. So he tells the turtle, let me get on your back and I'll take you to the other side. But the turtle says, you're going to kill me. He says, why would I kill you? I need to get to the other side. So the turtle says, oh, it makes sense. So he puts him on his back and he takes him to the other side. As soon as he gets off, he gives him a sting and kills him. Why did he kill him? Why did he kill the turtle? Because he hates. And it's hate you can't rationalize. From over here, we come to the same idea. In the same perspective. And looking back. And looking back at the, what the Torah tells us about the difference between how we deal with Amalek and how we deal with Pharaoh. When it comes to Amalek, God tells us you have to eradicate them, you have to remember them every single day. However, when it comes to Pharaoh, what does the Torah tell us? Something different. He says, you know what? Don't go back on what the Egyptians did to you. Don't ever taunt an Egyptian for what you've done, you've done to you. Because since you were a stranger in their land, they hosted you. You were there for 200 years. Don't move back to Egypt. You finished with Egypt. We're done with it. We move on. 
Why all of a sudden when it comes to Egypt? Does the Torah tell us move on? Don't have anything to do with them? We don't re- remember every single day that we left Egypt. We don't remember how evil Egypt was to us. On the other hand, the Torah tells us Amalek. You've got to wipe them out to the core. You've got to remember every single day what Amalek did to you. Why? Amalek, we don't even know who they are today. Sancherif came in the time of the first temple, mixed up the entire world. We don't know who Amalek is. What's the purpose of me saying every single day after prayers, remember what Amalek did? Why do we read it once a year? Because the Torah is teaching us the difference between the two evils. The Torah is telling us the difference between evil and disagreements. The Torah is telling us the difference between somebody who had a problem with you and now you are able to solve the problem, whether it was by overcoming them, or somebody who just hates you because of who you are. Egypt, yes, they had a problem with the Jewish people. They had a problem with the Jewish nation. And what we did was we left. Of course, because what they did, they got suffered. They were beaten to the core and we were able to leave. But once we left, we moved on. Amalek, we don't move on. Because somebody that hates you, we cannot continue to do that. They're going to continue to hate us until they get rid of us, and we got to get rid of them. This is what the Torah tells us. Remember what Amalek is. Fascinating thing. Next week, we're going to read about Yisrael. And we're going to read about the story of Yisrael. Yisrael comes to the Jewish people. And it says, Yisrael heard. What did he hear? And the, and the Rashi explains, he heard about the splitting of the sea. And the war of Amalek. The commentaries explained that Yisro wouldn't come until he heard what happened with Amalek. Why? Yisro was afraid. One second. Are these Jewish people the type of people that will always hold a grudge? I won't be welcome. Don't forget, Yisro was a minister in Egypt. He was not a believer of the Jewish people to begin with. He was a nice guy. But he was concerned that the Jewish people are going to take revenge on him wherever they are, no matter what, because of what happened many years ago. But all of a sudden, he sees what happened to Amalek. He realizes that the Jewish people were able to move past going out of Egypt. The only people that they want to take war against is only people who look to hate them. But as long as you've got no issue with them, we got no issue with you. We move past it. And this is when we come to look around and we see the commentary that Barbanel, one of the Spanish commentators, explained. Why the Amalek, the war of Amalek was so, that the Torah tells us that we continuously read it year after year. And make sure that no 12 months go by without reading about Amalek. is because Amalek had no cause or no reason to be able to fight with the Jewish people. Every single war and every single problem that the Jewish people went through was because there was a problem, there was a difficulty or a challenge, legitimate or not, but at least there was some legitimization. Amalek had zero legitimization for it, and therefore their only access was that they should try to get the Jewish people and cool them off from their excitement and their passion to show, "Eh, who are you? So now that we see the contrast between number one, a disagreement and an enemy. Pharaoh, so to speak, was a disagreement. Amalek is an enemy. This brings us now to understand and appreciate a little bit more of what, how this has to do in our own personal lives. Many times, we come to the idea, we come to, we have many different questions. Questions, whatever they may be. Questions that may disturb us of how we go further in life. Questions in our belief in God. Questions of how we deal and contend with issues. How do we deal with these different questions and doubts that come to us in our life? How do we go about it and what should we do with it? Hasidism explains, 
and especially Chabad Hasidism explains that Amalek is not only out in the field and trying to hurt us physically, but is also there to try to hold, hurt us emotionally, meaning there's a spiritual Amalek as well. The word Amalek comes from the word in Hebrew, Malak, to separate. In the time of the temple, there were different ways how they slaughtered animals, but they had to bring a sacrifice. A bird, the head removed from the body, was called Malika, severing. Over here, the same idea, Amalek, Hasidism explains. The only way that we can actually get rid of Amalek is to recognize that Amalek, what it wants to do is, it wants to separate our heart from our head. Meaning it wants it to be a completely intellectual, calculated individual without any emotions and passion. Why? Because when you're calculated, cool, calm, so to speak, you start having doubts. Passion gives you excitement beyond any doubts. Think about it. Amalek is also a numeric value of 240. 240 is the same number as the word suffix, which means doubt. The whole point of Amalek is to create doubt within an individual. Look at the story of Amalek. Let's go back to this week's Torah reading. The Jewish people are coming out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt. The entire world, as the Torah testifies, is in awe of the Jewish people, of the greatness that they've done, the accomplishments that they've accomplished. Coming out of Egypt, 12 different canals in the Red Sea. Egypt's afraid of them, gave them all the wealth. Egypt, the superpower of the world, is gone. The Jewish people are on top of the world. What does Amalek do? Ah, you're excited, you're passionate, you're ready to get the Torah. You think you're on top of the world, you beat the superpower of the world. We're going to come and show you, we're going to wage war against you. They wanted to cool off that excitement. You think you really got it? God's really protecting you? God has no interest in protecting you. He took you across the sea to make a name for himself. And now you're going to be wandering in the desert. You're all on your own. They were there to be able to cool the Jewish people of their passion and their excitement about the getting of the Torah. Showing that maybe God doesn't care for them. And therefore, if you look at the words of Amalek, in the verse that is brought in the prophets, it says, Amalek, the beginning of the nation of Amalek. If you take the first letter, Reishis, Goyim Amalek, Hasidim used to say, make the word Rega. One minute. What is Rega? In Hebrew they say, Rega. Take it easy. You get all excited, you're passionate, you, you want to do it? All of a sudden, Rega. One minute, cool down. That's Amalek. Wants to cool you down for your more excitement from doing something good. Amalek says, you have a good idea, you're excited, you're, you're all worked up. Calm down. Why are you getting all worked up? Maybe it's not going to work out. Maybe it will. Who says you should? Maybe you wouldn't. And over here the Torah tells us, You got to eradicate that, Amalek. You got to eradicate that coolness, that doubt. When you're passionate, let your passion run for you. Let it be what takes you. Don't. Yes, you'll have to ask questions. Yes, it's good to investigate. Yes, it's good to talk about it. But remember, no doubt. If you're going to have questions, the questions should bring you to doing. The questions got to bring you to actions. The questions got to bring you to knowing, <coughs> to making sure you accomplish. There was once a chassid. His name was Reb Zalman Zezmer. Reb Zalman Zezmer was known, became to be one of the greatest chassidim of the Alter Rebbe. But before he became a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, he was investigating what is chassidism. So he once stayed in the home of Reb Yamin Kletzker. Reb Yamin Kletzker was an also special Jew. 
He was called Klatska because he was a beam. He used to sell uh, wood and, you know, make rafts and then sell the wood. Klatz, klatz means a piece of wood. So they called him Rabbi Yamin Klatska. So that's what he used to sell. But he was a big chassid to the end once he's there. And he saw when they were reading Amalek, he had this real passionate hatred towards Amalek. So Zalman Zezmer looks at him and says, well, how do you were so angry at Amalek for? They lived uh, 3,000 years ago. What are you getting all worked up? He says, Amalek is not from then. I got to hate that coldness, that cold-bloodedness. He says, where do you get that passion from? He says, that you got to learn in the Yajnan. You got to go to the Altareb before to really feel it. But the bottom line, Hasidism teaches us. I'm allowed to ask questions. Questions, there's no problems. In fact, they tell a story, Rabbi Nachmendel of Kotsk, he was a student of the Maghreb, a very witty individual Hasidic master. And once a Hasid came to him who had so many questions about belief in God and questions of why God does this and that and so on. So he tells him, look in the commentary, Tosos, commentary on the Talmud, on this and this page. He looks in the commentary, looking for an answer about his great theological questions. He sees no answer. He comes back to his Rebbe, he says, I don't see an answer there. He says, you don't see what Taisvah says? You don't see what the commentary says? The commentary says, And we got to look into it. I don't know the answer. He says, if Taisvah doesn't know the answer, it's all right if you don't know the answer either. Not every question has to be answered. You can ask questions, but you got to know that not every question has to be answered. Our job is, yes, we can ask questions, and yes, we can talk about it, and yes, we can investigate, interrogate, theorize, but the bottom line is it shouldn't bring us to stop what we're doing. Amalek wanted to stop the Jewish people in their tracks from going to the Mount Sinai. We got to know that as many questions as we have, it's not a doubt. It's a question. I investigate. I talk about it. I understand. I can theorize. But never a doubt. Mm-hmm. Tell you, think about, for example, many people when they get married are all idealistic and everything else and wonderful and everything. If they were to stop for a moment and to think, how is this actually going to work out? How does this make sense? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to live with a person I only just met recently? Or I never lived with? How is this going to happen? Nobody would ever happen. Nobody would ever get married. It's because, as we say in the Eish Chayil every Friday night, Eish Chayil Ateras Baila, but Botach Boliv Baila. She had the trust. What is the key ingredient in every relationship? It's trust that it's going to happen. We trust in God that it's going to be taken care of. The bottom line is that, number one, if what happens if we do have these doubts? What happens if we do have these problems? So there's two things that we have to do. Number one is to just distract ourselves and move on with it and go a little further and move on. And then we have to see if this is really bothering us. We have to remember that there's a level of trust. That means what is Amalek's whole job is to be able to deflect that trust, to be able to cool that trust. Amalek is coming along and telling you, how dare you trust in a God you never met, you never saw, how do you know it's going to work out? And the previous rabbi talks about it in his discourses, he says, Amalek is all about to get us to go against God. Amalek wants you to think about it and say, how is this really going to work? How is this going to happen? He wants to cool you off from your passion, from your excitement. Why? He wants to take away that trust that you have. Think about it for a moment, you see. That if we look in the actual words of the Torah, what happens when a husband and wife are not getting along? And the husband accuses his wife of being promiscuous? The Torah says, take my name, the law of Sota, and erase it in the water. 
To erase God's name is forbidden. What's happening over here? And that's because there is no greater joy than taking away doubt. Ain't simcha katar sasvekis. There is no joy like having no doubt. When you're worried about your wife being promiscuous and the Torah says, you want to truly feel joy? Erase my name because I know you'll have no doubt anymore. You'll know either one way or the other. You go to the doctor sometimes. The doctor says you have X, B, X, Y, and Z. You say, oh, Baruch Hashem, now I know what I have. <laughs> ah, you're going to have to be on antibiotics. Ah, you're going to have to go take care of treatment, whatever it may be, but you know what it is. Until I went to the doctor, I was worried. It could have been this, it could have been that, it could have been something else. Now I know what it is. Automatically, I already feel better. Because doubt is what destroys a person. Doubt is what makes a person go bonkers. This is what Amalek tried to do to the Jewish people. Instill with them doubt. Make them think, should I go like this, should I go like that? Think about it. Just go back to how many years ago? Two years ago, not even COVID. Why were people so terrified of COVID? Because at the beginning they told you it's on the plastic, on the wood, it's going to make you die, it's going to make you, who knows what, it's going to, it's going to, it's the life and threat of a disaster of all disasters. We never had such a pandemic and all of a sudden the world's going to come to an end, it's a, who knows what. All of a sudden, once we had something by the day and we understood that what it could be, had it treated, all of a sudden everybody became calm. Today people get COVID, they go, they treat it and move on. Why? Because the doubt no longer exists. I know what it is. I figured it out. You ever have trouble with a math problem and all of a sudden you figure it out, you try to balance your checkbook, you find that one check that never made it, and all of a sudden you're the happiest person. What happened? You just found out a check. It's because you have no doubt. Amalek tried to instill within a person doubt. Amalek tried to make a person that they should have doubt. And this is when we go back to our difference. What's the difference between a question and a doubt? A question is I'm looking for an answer. I want to understand. Okay. And I dig a, little, dig a little deeper to try to understand it. A query or just an investigative reason, just to ask a question for no reason, is what creates doubt. But the problem is, what do I do when I have doubts? All of us are normal. We get doubts. We start doubting why things happen, especially in turbulent times that we're living in today. Why is it like this? Isn't it normal that we have that? How do we get rid of that Amalek? And over here we are told, two different ways that we can deal with doubt. Number one, we have to deal with it in a two-pronged situation. To remember, to rely on people greater than us. And number two, to continue learning. Let's look back in this week's Torah reading. Moshe sees Amalek attacking him. Does Moshe stop? Does Moshe say, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Amalek is coming along. How am I going to deal with this? Amalek, he doesn't stop. He keeps on trucking. Number one, we have to know we don't stop just because you're in doubt. If you want to be able to overcome and deal with it, you got to stay forward and move forward. March forward. Look at something very unique. It's a fascinating thing. You look in the story of Moshe, teaches us all. When Pharaoh started hurting the Jewish people, Moshe comes to God and says, why did you do this? When Amalek starts up with the Jewish people, what does Moshe say? Get men, fight these fellows, and let's go get them. What's the difference? Why by Pharaoh all of a sudden does he say, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing this? And it comes to Amalek all of a sudden. He says, he's waging war. And the difference is because of here the Torah is telling us 
that what happened was with Moshe, he recognized that what Pharaoh was upset about, what was the Jewish people doing? We've got to deal with, contend with the problem. So God, this doesn't look like we're dealing with the problem and it's making the problem worse. However, when it came to the story of Amalek, he realized when it came to the story of Amalek, they're not here to hurt the Jewish people. But on the other hand, they're here to be able to try to destroy the Jewish people. And that's why God was upset at him at first. Why, did you, why are you doing this to the Jewish people? But at the same time, at the same time, Moshe had the right to ask. The Jewish people were being hurt. The same idea is also he knew that there was going to be a benefit for the Jewish people that are going to come. And his question is, when is it going to come? Why do they have to go through suffering before it comes? But when it came to Amalek, he said, this is a problem we got to deal with right now. We got to deal with the problem. We can't let God wait for the other problem. Everything has its time. Moshe understood it. And therefore he asked God, why is it taking so long? But when it came to Amalek, he took matters and said, no, we got to stand up to what is a doubt. We got to eradicate it once and for all. So as we mentioned, there's two ways of dealing with doubt. Number one, look at the great people. We have to remember that we're not the first one in history dealing with problems. Anti-Semitism or people that want to kill us or with enemies that are just interested in hating us. There were greater people than us previously in history. Maimonides, the great Beis Yosef, Ramosha Sorelish, the Baal Shem Tov, the Alter Rebbe. Pick your generation. There was a problem that they had to deal with anti-Semitism and maybe even more severe than today. But nobody broke, nobody fell, nobody stopped believing in God, but on the contrary, they became stronger. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel to how do we deal with anti-Semitism. We see it very clearly in the previous generation what we did. And that is about educating ourselves and the people around us. The word belief in God, emuna, comes from the word true. Because every single Jew truly believes in God. Every single Jewish person is connected to God. A Jew inherently believes in God, as we've seen throughout the generations. And the bottom line is, we believe that it's going to resolve, and God is going to take care of us, and everything's going to work out. But what we need to do is, we have to believe. The word amuna also comes from the word emun, to practice, to become part of you. Belief in God doesn't just happen like that. It's a part of a training process that we have to see, that everything around in the world that God is doing is for our benefit. Do I understand it? I don't understand it. There's a very famous saying, Pesi Yamin, it's brought in the book of Proverbs, Pesi Yamin a fool believes everything. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov used to say, I'd rather be a fool that believes in everything than a doubter that doesn't believe in anything. Believe in everything. We believe. We believe that there's good people. We believe that there's good times. We believe that good times will come. And guess what? There were people before us that had difficult times and they got through it and we'll get through it too. Not only that, even in our own personal lives, there's many different times that we have questions. And we have to remember we're not the first person that had these questions. And some questions can answer and some questions just stay questions. The famous uh, story, I've said it once before, a young child by the name of Elchanan Cohen was learning in a cheder in New Jersey. In a non-chakbaat cheder. And he was learning, Bereshus Barak, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. So he asked his teacher the question, who created God? You young kid. The teacher got furious with him, writes a note to his parents, look what your teacher is asking. Look what your student is asking. Look what your son is asking. They didn't know what to do. So they wrote a letter to the Rebbe. This is 1981, an English letter that the Rebbe responds. 
And in the letter to the Rebbe, they write, our kid went to school, learned Parashas Baralikim, asked the question to the teacher, was met with fury, he had no answer. We don't have the answer. What do we do? The Rebbe writes back to the child, addressed to the kid, Elchanan Cohen. I received your letter and you're asking, you want to know more about God. So number one, the Rebbe writes, your desire to know more about God should be praiseworthy. King David taught his son, King Solomon, know God your father and serve him with a good heart. Number two, everything has its right time. Meanwhile, you involve yourself in the study of Torah. When the time will come, you will ask your rabbi in your community and he will explain to you. And number three, you have to remember that the Jewish people, when they were given the Torah, we were first given Nasa, that we got to do, and afterwards we have to hear. What was the Rebbe telling this child? Three very important things how we deal with doubt. The desire to understand should never be shut down. It's important and should be praised. Number two, there's an answer to your question. I may not understand it. I may not know it. But there is an answer. And number three, the right way to get the answer is not by stopping what you're doing, but continue to do more and eventually you'll get there. The answer is so clear as well in our own life. We have many questions to what happens in our life. But number one, we have to remember, there's nothing wrong with asking. Ask. But remember that not you, know, you don't have to get the answer right away. The answer will come in the right time. And how are you going to get to the answer? Do more. Be more active. Be proactive. Be involved. And you'll get the answer. And the answer will come on its own. Famous story about a student I actually know who this was. A student of my father's was learning in the yeshiva. And Adara Tori was a new student coming to the yeshiva, just came out of college campus, those in the hippie days, the middle of the 70s. And he came to the Rebbe when he first came to Adara Tori to study in the yeshiva. He said, I have a lot of questions about the theology, Judaism, age of the earth. He had a list of 60 questions that he wanted to ask the Rebbe. The rabbi's name was Rabbi Tuvi Bolton, just he was today a mashpia, a teacher in Kfar Chabad. And he had a lot of questions. The Rebbe tells him, he says, you know what? There's a lot of people standing outside waiting online to have, that want to get the answer to you, that need answers as well. Why don't you go study in yeshiva for six months, and in six months, I give you an appointment now, you'll come back, we'll answer all the questions. Okay, very good. He went to yeshiva, he studied for six months, he came back to the Rebbe for his appointed yechidus. And he has the private audience with the Rebbe, and, and he's talking to the Rebbe, and then the Rebbe asks him, what happened to your page with the questions? He says, I have no questions anymore. The more we learn, the more we're involved, the more we do, we have no questions. This is what the lesson of this week's Torah reading is telling us. Amalek is the enemy who wants to eradicate us because they hate us. It is also the enemy within us that creates the questions, that wants to just ask questions because it hates that godliness within us. It hates that passion. We have to eradicate the evil within us, meaning that coolness, that cold, questionable doubt within ourselves, and that would help eradicate the enemy in the world that hates the Jewish people just for haters, and with that we'll have Mashiach now.